Hello, Christine. Um, so today we are going to be talking to Christine Wilkinson. Um, she's a nursery owner and uh, is practicing a method called Pickler. Her nursery is the Early Years Nursery and it is located in um, north of Oxford um, in a little village called uh, Killington. So Christine, how are you doing? Yeah, really good. Really, really good. Um, I'm looking forward to this um, opportunity really to talk about something that, that I'm very passionate about. Okay. Yeah. yeah, really good. Good, good. Background um, about how all this, uh, how all this started. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, having worked in childcare for close to 20 years, um, I remember one time observing how practitioners in the nursery were dealing with children's behavior and and I noticed that there was increasing frustration because the behavior wouldn't stop or it didn't change and they would use methods where they'd pick up a child and put a child in, in, in the corner and and would say to the child well you're you know you're not going to have story anymore because you know you're choosing to hit or you're choosing to kick and these methods seem to perpetuate that behavior and so i started searching different ways of how we could manage children's behavior and i came across um resources for infant edge carers from the u.s and this was uh, first began by magda gerber who was um spent her time with emmy pickler in hungary and so from there, the whole thing just snowballed into um, what I have today and all the knowledge that I've gained. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you decide that, all right, I think I just need to start my own business? Was there a moment that triggered that? Yeah, yeah. When um, I think I'd spent you know, as I said before, 20 years is a long time. Um, and I'd worked in so many different capacities, um, yeah. as a practitioner, manager, as an advisory teacher. Uh, I did a year long project with the um, Oxfordshire County Council supporting settings. Hmm. And I'd seen, you know, outstanding practice and, you know, and settings that were still in development um, that needed support. And, when uh, I uh, came pregnant with our first child, um, it really dawned on me the the idea, and I, I felt the angst that parents feel when they start thinking about childcare. And I thought about all the, the you know the practice that was out there, and there was one thing that I found that was missing in a lot of earlier settings, and that is the focus on mental health and the impact of the quality of a practitioner's own mental health on um, their interactions with children. And there's this huge gap. There's a chasm between how practitioners view their own mental health and how practitioners understand their own mental health and the impact that it then has on how they interact. That is missing in early years right now. And that's what led me into really thinking, is it possible to create an environment where mental health, our understanding of mental health and its impact and the implications of, of, of not understanding our own psychological landscape and how that can impact the children that we're caring for. And the nursery was born out of that desire to create an environment where this could be nurtured it was really an experiment because i was thinking can it be done because for 20 years i've worked in a particular way mm. and so it was actually more of an experiment of is it really possible yeah, yeah. actually create something where this can work where this can work okay and we'll, we'll get to the we'll get to the meat of that uh, later on um uh but what do you love what do you love about your nursery 
What do you think sets us apart from other nurseries? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some specifics. <laughs> yeah, every interaction, every piece of equipment, the environment, the building itself, the, the outdoors, the staff, each number of staff that works there, the parents, the children, every single interaction between <clears throat> people and the space and the materials. I, I love everything about it because everything is so intricately woven together to create a nurturing space for everyone. Okay, and, so and then, uh, every moment is an opportunity for me to see and understand and learn a bit more about the intricacies of, of human relationships. Mm, mm, mm. So, if, if we sort of like shift gears to the mental podcast, um, you sort of mentioned words like nurturing and almost like a holistic approach to not just looking at the nursery as just a building where you keep kids, but more thinking of it that actually your staff are important, the parents are important, the kids are important, the business owners are important. Mm -hmm. Can you please explain to the audience about what this philosophy is? What is the pickle philosophy? I've done a bit of some research and mm -hmm. that seems to be a consistent theme. What, mm -hmm. what is pickle? Pickler is an approach. It's not a, a list of things to do. Mm. It's an approach to life. Uh, I think Emmy Pickler, in all her observations and all her conclusions and what she found and, and the impact of working in that sort of way has a profound effect that will ripple through generations in when we choose to see children in this sort of way. The way I'd summarize it is, is the Pickler approach um, is, a, is, is a way of life. Mm. How you choose to see not only yourself, but how you choose to see others and how you relate to them. It's human scale development, really. It's, the, it's basically changes or, or turns upside down everything you've ever learned in childcare on its head. Okay. Mm. So like, what's the, if, if you give an example of the classic things that you learn in childcare and how that is sort of turned on its head in Pickler, maybe so we have a sort of a comparison of the two mm -hmm. methods. So I think one thing that stands out for me is um, perhaps not so much not so much now, but mm -hmm. certainly when I used to, when I was back uh, working in nurseries, is this understanding that you leave your personal hat at home and you put on your professional hat and you come into work. And there's something very uh, disconnected about working in that sort of way. Because if you're leaving your personal self at home and all the issues that you're having and anything that is standing in the way of you being your best that day even when you put on your professional hat you're still who you are and and what i've found with the pickler approach is bring everything to work bring who you are essentially it's who you are to work and let's sit and create a space for you to be yourself, to feel everything that you're feeling, and we can work with that. And let's see how we can help you bring who you are into the workplace, your authentic self into the workplace, and how you can then bring your work with the children together so there's a meeting place in the middle. Because by essentially allowing people to be themselves, to bring all of who they are, into that space what you're giving your team is the message that it's okay for children and parents and visitors and whoever else to bring all of who they are into the space so you don't have to split yourself into several different parts for several different situations just bring yourself and we can work with that mm. and that that's my interpretation of, of, of the whole approach Perfect. 
and uh, in sort of today's world you know i think we are sort of in a similar moment in the world where sort of um our way of life has been interrupted mm-hmm. um, how is pika relevant in that situation in where or how would pika help us in a situation where your way of life comes to a sudden halt and you're left floundering what i've found is um this idea of being okay with who i am and what is going on with me and creating the space for those emotions and feelings and and everything else that's coming up is hugely um it creates this feeling of acceptance and and it kind of removes the resistance to what is so you know the self isolation and the being away from our loved ones and not being able to do the things that we would do on a day to day um by looking at all these different scenarios where we feel powerless and creating a space for ourselves to sit with those emotions of frustration and powerlessness and listen to those emotions and and to create a space of acceptance that it is what it is and and finding a way of um creating a sense of peace and calm with what with the current situation and and, and you foster that within your children within the kids that you teach yeah yeah um how, how do you do that <laughs> when i can give an example when a child is first settling with us yeah for a very young child it's it's a big ass because children don't want to be separated from their parents it's a big ask and it's understanding that that's the starting point is the child would rather be with the parent mm-hmm. and once you understand that there's a certain sensitivity that you use to approach how you then nurture that child to help them settle in and how you support the child to kind of come to terms with what's happening you know that whole approach of acceptance is by accepting how they're feeling and we would say things like this is really hard you really want mom or dad or grandma to be here with you and i hear and we would sit and listen to those emotions mm. and what we found is just this simple act of present you know just our undivided pure presence sitting there listening to the child's tears and emotions what we find is that children settle so quickly i have been in childcare 20 years and in all my experience this is the quickest way <laughs> that i see children settle before the way i used to work was distraction oh look here's a toy so we're going to do some painting so oh look out the window look there's a bed and trying to distract the child from what they were feeling but yeah. all it did was it prolonged the anguish mm-hmm. whether i gave them a toy or painting or distract them went into the garden the child was still feeling distressed about the, the separation from the parents that didn't go away mm-hmm. maybe it stopped for a few minutes but it didn't go away mm-hmm. but by what i found in the way that we work now of sitting with that emotion and just sitting and listening to their crying holding them on your lap very gently very tenderly with your face very close so the child really knows that you're there and what we do is and uh, we have when a member of staff settling a child they're not to be distracted or interrupted to do anything else other than be there for that child completely 100% and 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 just listening we find that our children settle so quickly because they're processing all the emotion it's all coming out 
and the trust begins. The child trusts that you're not afraid of how they feel. Because when you distract a child, I believe that you're sending the message that there's something that is not okay about how they're feeling. But by sitting with that emotion, you're say, saying, this is okay, all of you is okay. You know, feeling sad because someone that you love has left, that is okay. And I'm here, I'm here to support you and I'm here to hold your hand. I'm here to cuddle you and to hold you and to see you through to the other side. So that's how we would we, we work and I was talking about you know during these times yeah. how um, how how I'm yeah. creating myself and my family to feel all the emotions and how to cope through um, uh, lockdown and and how that can mirror a situation in the nursery. That's right, yeah, yeah. Um, so coming on to um, <laughs> my nephews and nieces. Yeah. <laughs> So I think you showed me a video uh, of them cutting potatoes, you know, mm-hmm. with sharp knives, and I was wincing. You know, I was like, "Oh my God!" You know, this is <laughs> a crazy situation. In 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 popular culture, traditionally, the child with a knife, you scream, "Oh my God!" You know, you grab it from them and you take it away from them and stuff like that. Whereas you are trusting them to actually. Be safe with that knife. Mm-hmm. Ex- explain, explain what's going on there, because most people would like say, "Whoa, you know, that's that's irresponsible." They might, mm-hmm. <laughs> they might hurt themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So it it's all about trust. Um, a lot of us have grown up on a diet of fear. So it's very, it's a hard, it can be a challenging jump to go from fear-based, you know, when you've grown up in a fear-based environment to move into trust. It takes a lot of work to to make that that shift. Um, And what I found with our three is you've got to start from the beginning. You've got to trust them right from day one. And so the trust just doesn't happen when they're three or four or five and I hand them a knife. No, it starts from the day they're born. You know, from the day that each one of our children, you know, was born, I trusted them with the nappy changing, trusted them to let me know when they were tired, trusted that they would communicate their needs effectively. My job was to be there to listen and, and observe acutely. Um, and be really attuned to what was going on and and to trust that that relationship of trust that I trust my child will be able to communicate what they need mm-hmm. I will be alert I'll be present I'll be there watching and observing and learning those intricate uh, communications that babies give right from the day that they're born mm-hmm. and so that's there right from the beginning so when they start to take an interest, you know, like um, our one-year-old is really interested in, in helping out in the kitchen, wants to see me stirring. And, and so when that starts, I will start with um, a butter knife. You know, when his siblings, his four-year-old and six-year-old siblings um, are cutting the potatoes, I'll give him a butter knife. And when I say to him, okay, you know, it's time to pack away, he knows he trusts and he'll hand over the butter knife and pack away. You know, there aren't any battles because he trusts. There's that relationship of trust. He's not going to run away with a knife because that's been established from the day that he was born. Yeah. Is that there, we have this communication style where there's no force, there's no coercion, there's no manipulation. It's just a conversation. Um, yeah. And... Uh, four-year-old and six-year-old understand that oh mommy can I help cut the potatoes and I give them the equipment that they need and give the instructions and and I leave them to it because we've been doing this right from the beginning Mm. you know they're not going to use the knives as swords or you know start running around with them they know once that is finished they then pack away okay and so they understand that And, and and I see you doing a lot of negotiation Mm-hmm. It's a lot of negotiation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I find that difficult because 
<laughs> I, I could save a lot of time, you know, uh, <laughs> with a lot of things, you know. Um, but you negotiate on on everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why Why is that important? And and, and what sort of adult are you mm -hmm. are, are you raising? Uh, negotiation, collaboration, partnership. You know, it's the same sort of mm. understanding. Um, a relationship of openness, a relationship of trust, just doesn't happen like that. Yeah. Got to invest and put in the time and the effort and the understanding that the type of relationship I am hoping to have or mm. to be in, actually, the type of relationship I want to be in now, rather yeah. than but right now, is a relationship of collaboration and, and communication. Yeah. So all I really have with my children is the moment, right here, right now. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, it's not far off that our six-year-old is just the one-year-old. She's oh. now six and everything we have been doing, how we talk to her, how we communicate, it's all, she's now beginning to embody those qualities of communication and collaboration and and, and I think as a parent, it's making a choice. What sort of relationship do I want right now with my children? And what I seek as a parent is I am looking for a relationship where we can communicate openly and honestly about how we feel and, and that we can find a way where we can meet everyone's needs. And, and yeah, that's why I've chosen this way of being is I, as a person, me, mum, you know, um, Christine, I'm looking to be in relationship with anybody that is open and honest and collaborative, that is, is, is deeply connected, emotionally connected and respectful. Um, so what I seek as a person is what I instill and look for um, in, in, in others. Yeah, and 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 then how how about uh, where uh, we always see the situation when a baby is sort of trying to climb off something? So you showed me another video of uh, of the last born getting off a table. Mm -hmm. Now um, I would quickly rush because I see them struggling. I quickly rush and you know take them off the table, you know, and, and put them down because they might fall. Mm -hmm. But you seem to let them. Uh, go through that motion. Uh, mm -hmm. Why? why trust it's <laughs> It's all about trust. It's it's a trust. I have a trust thing. I want to build a relationship of trust with my children. Um, and and part of that is the space, giving a bit of space for them to figure things out for themselves. Um, and of course, safety is number one. Safety is the first thing. And so I know what he's capable of. And I've been watching him uh, from, of course, from when he was little to see what his abilities are like. And because right from the beginning, there was that relationship of trust when he's rolling over, when he feels a bit frustrated to go back on his back, when he first started to crawl, when he first started to walk, all of these milestones, there was, he was surrounded with a lot of trust and time and space to figure things out. So it's not like, it wasn't sudden, it's he's built up a whole body memory of how to move without um, interference. So because he's been able to move without any interference, any manipulation whatsoever in his body, he's extremely secure in his body. And he'll only take risks if he knows that he has the ability to overcome that risk or it will just give him a little bit of danger and excitement, but he can manage it. And where he feels he's not able to manage it, he'll call. Hmm. He'll usually say, Mama. You know, and what I'll do in those situations is I'll get close, but I won't interfere. I'll just yeah. get close and I'll just keep him reassuring it. Oh, you're stuck. Mm. Mm -hmm. I wonder what you could do. Yeah. And 100% of the time, he works it out because he knows no one's going to interfere 
but he also trusts that he can call on help if he needs it. Yeah. So do you instill all these practices in the children of the earliest nursery? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we have children coming from lots of different backgrounds. So for them, it's, mm. you know, it's an exciting time for them, you know, to go, oh, wow. I've been, you know, I can climb on this without anyone saying, be careful. And the staff is so skilled at just being alongside these children and yeah. going about, oh, I wonder how that feels in your body. You yeah. know, so it's all about bringing awareness to their physical body and to go, oh, okay. So safety is not about someone telling me that is unsafe. Mm. about how it actually feels mm. and and it doesn't take long for the children to to start tapping into themselves rather than relying on someone else to to be the, yeah to, to be that safety compass they, <laughs> they start to internalize that actually safety is, is an interesting thing how does it mm. feel in the body yeah yeah that's quite yeah that's quite profound i think where mm. you don't wait for someone to tell you what is safe or what is not, but you yourself are able to internalize what is safety and what is not according to your own terms. Yeah. Because we're all different, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. It's because what's comfortable for me may not be comfortable for you. Yeah. 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 So internalize that at a very young age. Um, so how can sort of mothers um, or fathers, uh, parents, siblings, how can they start to apply these principles to, uh, to your children, to their baby sister or baby brother, nieces, nephews, uh, daughters, sons? You know? I would say it's a whole, um, start small. Mm. Yeah, start small and, and in every situation, every interaction, just pause mm. and think. You know, am I about to say this because I'm afraid? Or am I about to say this? Is, is, am I saying this out of fear or am I saying this out of trust? And that, that, that is a good starting place, just kind of to begin exercising that muscle of fear-based communication and trust-based yeah. communication. communication. So can you give me an example of fear-based communication? Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> but what does that mean? But, yeah. but, but, but you take the kid to be careful. <laughs> but the reason why we're saying it really is not, is what I see is not necessarily one, it, it first it alarms the child and say, be careful. Um, but it doesn't really say a lot. Be careful what? Um, that helps soothe us that we've said something that could potentially help that child not to injure themselves. So we're saying that already. There's fear there. Oh, oh my gosh, he could fall there. Be careful. Mm. So that's not helpful to him, is it? No, no. And, and if you're talking, you know, if you're talking to a two-year-old, a three-year-old, be careful. It's just sort of like, it's like an alarm bell. Oh, stop. You know, and that can be quite jarring to the nervous system. I mean, actually, they're more likely to make a mistake and fall. Yeah. That then you just, you move in. Just quietly, just move in. Get close. And if it helps soothe your own nervous system, you know, you can sports car, so you can describe what you see. Ah, I'm noticing that that log is beginning to wobble. And I see that your hand is holding on to that very small twig. I wonder how that feels in your body. <laughs> so that, yeah. that helps, you know, because it's, yeah. it's a big jump to go from not saying, oh, quite, yeah, yeah. saying a lot and then not saying anything at all. So you can have a middle ground where you can just describe what you see, see which will yeah. help calm you down as, as, as an adult um, yeah. but also it just helps the child have a bit of awareness to go oh yeah actually mm -hmm. it's small and this is beginning to wobble maybe I, I need to move on to another log you know so you can you can start that way and then slowly as you be, as that muscle gets stronger and stronger that muscle of trust um, you can you know 
less talking, more observing. More observing, yeah. yeah. I think I laughed just a moment ago because I started thinking about it. Mm. And I was like, well, would I be able to tell a child <laughs> <laughs> to observe that twig is, <laughs> is yeah. coming loose? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your body. yeah, it's quite... It, it's quite a huge leap mm -hmm. it is it is because it's all you know i keep talking about muscle memory but that's mm. essentially it if you start to practice the more you practice the easier it gets and the more trusting you become of the children but also the more trusting you become of yourself mm. Mm. um and so this is quite groundbreaking stuff uh it's not heard a lot about about this um i think piccolo was a genius of her time mm. absolute genius uh let's talk about bedtime uh if, if parents all across the country always struggle with <laughs> with bedtime how do you manage how do you manage that um, bedtime is bedtime should not start in the evening bedtime should start as soon as the children wake up and by that i mean you set the tone of the day right up until bedtime mm -hmm. so by having a routine or i like to call them rituals so little things that we do throughout the day where help children feel more more ready when that time comes for them to transition into bedtime. Um, what I've found that works for us is having particular times where the same thing happens um, and, and it's routine and unless, you know, unless we've gone out somewhere or, um, you know, we have a barbecue or, you know, sometimes the routine changes a little bit, but the structure kind of remains the same. Um, what I find is that bedtime uh, is, is so much easier. But also bedtime is a state of mind, my state of mind. So much more about my state of mind than, than the children. Because when I get into a bit of a, oh, I want to have my evening, and oh, it's been a hard day, and I just want to have a glass of wine and just sit on the sofa and, you know, um, and call it, a, you know, and just have an evening. When I get desperate like that, I notice that, bedtime is much harder but when I let go of all expectations then the children just relax a bit relax more and they're able to bring up any emotions that have been happening in the day and we talk about it and we have story and it's so much easier I really believe that bedtime is the mindset my mindset from when I wake up and how I set the tone for the day up until the children go to sleep. So, yeah, it's it's just about shifting and letting go of expectations. Oh, he should be asleep by half six. Oh, he should be asleep by this time. And oh, I'm not going to have time to myself. And and yeah, and it may be true that you might not have time to yourself. But the more we hold on to and 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 resist what is happening in front of us, the harder it becomes. And, and, and also one really critical thing is that at bedtime, that's when children's worries, concerns, and their fears come to the surface. It all comes bubbling up because it's that time of the night when they're going to be separated from you. It's that time of the day when, oh, they can finally collapse and go, wow, what a day. And all they want to do is just tell you about it. And they'll tell you about it through resisting to brush their teeth. They'll tell you about the day through the resistance to put their pajamas on. They're telling you about the day when they're resisting to lay down and they're getting up for the 20th time because they're thirsty. They're telling you about their day when they say they're hungry, when they've just had dinner not so long ago. So all the, the resistance that the children are putting up are stories about everything they've experienced. And this is their way of communicating that it's been a long day for me too, and I'm just tired. And I just want you to be here and listen to everything that's been going on. And if you can just open up a little bit to that and just listen a little bit. Oh, yeah, you don't want to put your pajamas on. I hear you. 
it's really hard, isn't it? I get it. But have a momentum, you know, whilst they're going, I don't want to put my pajamas on. I know, darling. Right, let's put your arm in. Here you go. You know, carry on. Have that confident momentum. I know it's really hard at this time of the day. Right, here you go. Where's that leg? And that confident momentum means that you're staying in partnership with the process, you know, the task at hand, but you're in partnership emotionally with your child as well. So you're completing the task, but you're there listening as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, um, and and hopefully that that will be able to help um, mm. some parents. But I'm, you know, I'm going to put my link at the bottom if you'd like to consult around sleep and um, and routine. Yeah. Um, and we'll have our details at the at the end of the podcast. Um, so if we shift a little bit here and talk about um, a video, I think it surfaced maybe about a month ago about Uncle George. <laughs> um, first of all, what I'll ask you first is how did you feel when you watched that video of you know a father um, totally losing it with his child? What's um, your take? Yeah. How did you feel? Before I ask you what your take is. <laughs> Just a deep empathy for both, for the family, really, for the whole family, um, and how hard it must be as a parent to be so afraid of, for your child's future and how to be, and being that child who feels unheard and misunderstood. Um, and for everyone else that was in that video, kind of watching people they love, um, not being able to find a solution, you know, I just, yeah, just a deep empathy really and the sadness for the whole family. Mm-hmm. What's your take on it? My take really is, um, I think, the father needs someone to hear him out mm-hmm. and he, he needs to, he needs somebody to to hold the space for his fears. Mm-hmm. There's nothing scarier for a parent than to feel like, than to fear for your child. It's debilitating. It, it paralyzes you. That fear can paralyze. Because instinctively, you're, 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 as a parent, you want to protect you or you want to protect your child with everything that's in you. And when, you, when that fear kicks in, that your child is, is, when you fear for them, you will do everything. And it seems to me, from the father's perspective, the only thing that he felt he could do was to react the way that he did out of fear. So we go back again to the fear-based parenting. Yeah. So it's fear-based parenting as opposed to what? Trust. Trust Trust-based parenting. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. And how must be for his son to feel so closed off, misunderstood, without the opportunity to really speak from from his heart. Mm-hmm. Everyone's ready for kindness. Everyone is ready for kindness. That's a human need. It's a basic human need. It's 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 not cultural. It's not tied to a particular culture. It's not tied to a particular country, a particular socioeconomic group. Every human being is open to kindness and to be heard and to be understood and to be extended empathy. And. If we talk about sort of um, the future and what sort of kids mm. are raised 
through the particular school of thought and, and, and how do they perform in terms of success with health, their wealth and uh, relationships in adulthood? Um, the studies that um, the, the, the orphans from the Pickler Institute, um, a study was done and they are individuals living, you know, in society and, and contributing to society. And so um, what I, I can give you a personal account of my own children is they are deeply empathic people. You know, Emerson, who won um, not so long ago, unprompted, he saw his brother was crying on the floor, um, unprompted by anything. So the first time I'd ever seen him do this, went over and put his hand on his back and just gently stroked him. This is a one-year-old who um you know he's he may have seen that from his siblings before and you know might be behavior is imitating but he did it several times after that and he still does it today when he sees upset between the two of them between the four-year-old and the six-year-old he moves in very softly and just puts the hand like this you know and and it's nothing we've taught him and maybe it's something we've role modeled and he's seen it as, oh, this is what my family does. But a child who's starting off that way, deeply empathic, deeply attuned to the, the upset and the sadness of others, is, grow, is going to grow up um, having a default pattern of kindness and connection. But it's about human connection and kindness. You know, rather than having the default of aggression, disconnection, you know, when he sees somebody upset, his default is to help, to support, to create the space, to, to let them know that, that you're there and that you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing a bit of some history. Uh, reading on tyrants mm -hmm. and I started seeing a very uh, similar pattern mm -hmm. in them and they all seem to have been uh, denied something so for example Hitler wanted to go to art school but he he didn't manage to get there they tried mm -hmm. to get the military and he didn't manage to get in the military mm -hmm. uh, um, I don't know what his name is but he said like the the um, Chinese uh, rebellion he also mm -hmm. failed some um, also failed some exams and couldn't get into the school and he was denied to get in that. Is there, what's the correlation between tyranny and, and being denied? Do you think, am, am I onto something? There might be something in relation between tyranny and, <laughs> and being denied access when you're, when you're much younger? <laughs> I think it's a really interesting study to do, um, a longitudinal study on, on on, on what you're talking about, um, I would say it's so much more, um, you know, because other factors come into play. So it's not yeah. necessarily just because of the child who didn't get to do this, so you're going to turn out into you know, tyrant. I think it, it's, you know, everything affects it. So not just how you're raised, but the community you live in, mm. you know, the socioeconomic group you're in, your access to, um, you know, to, you know, to a range of experiences, it's, it's all going to have an impact on, on who you are as a person. Um, what I would say though is um, microaggressions, which I haven't talked about, things like picking up, swooping up a baby without letting them know that you're there, you know, you're going to pick them up, um, naughty steps, you know, all these types of, of of um, all these techniques to manage children's behaviors and, and how we handle them. You know, nappy changing, babies rolling around you. You know, you, 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 you hold them tightly as you put the nappy on and babies screaming. And it's just all these, lit, what seem like little things, 
you know, child is crying, you're like, oh, don't be silly, or man up, or boys don't cry. All these microaggressions, they build what I call a blueprint. Okay, so what is, what is impressed in children is going to seek expression at some point. So if children are like, like, a, like, a, like, like, a, you know, like clay. Any imprint, any mark that is made on them becomes their blueprint. That blueprint is how that child then interacts with the rest of the world. Mm. So it's not, it's not just the home environment, although the home environment has huge, huge, huge um, um, influence. But even the outside community, teachers, relatives, you know, peers, uh, media, all of this is imprinting on children. And there'll come a time when what's being imprinted, what, what's been impressed on that child is going to seek expression. Because that becomes the basis of how the child sees the world and how they then interact with the world. What's been impressed is how they interact with the world. So if you have children being raised in a culture of kindness, of understanding, of empathy and collaboration, that becomes their blueprint. So when they're going out into the world, interacting with their peers, interacting with, you know, people at work, colleagues, partners, you know, husbands, wives, you know, and their own children, their blueprint is kindness. It's understanding, mm. it's curiosity, it's non-judgment, it's respect. Mm. Because that's all they know, it's how they've been raised. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's for me, that is the crux of it, is we need to create communities and home environments and a society that is that starts from a place of compassion mm. from a place of compassion and so what has been the feedback about your sort of particular philosophy from people your your family siblings your parents at work <laughs> <laughs> oh my sibling thinks it's hilarious. And our nursery parents who really get into the, this way of being with children absolutely love it. One of the quotes from a parent who, you know, whose child has, has moved on to another um, setting said um, that when they first came to the nursery, they loved the building, they loved the staff, and all they were looking for was childcare, you know, child to be safe and happy, and that was enough. And over the time that they spent with us, we changed, they said that we had influenced them to the point where they were now using these, um, this approach in their own parenting and in how they were relating to each other as husband and wife. So, you know, and, and not so long ago, I had another parent who, um, after having a long conversation about this approach, looked me square in the eye and said, this is not just a nursery. This is not just a nursery. And, and yeah, it's not just a nursery. It's a place, it's a space for us to come home to ourselves again. And by that, I mean, to learn to trust ourselves again and to deeply connect with our authentic selves. Yeah. So um, let's start talking a little bit about, about yourself, Christine, and maybe change that a little bit. What sort of advice do you have, would you give yourself? Uh, what sort of advice would you give your, your younger self? Mm. <laughs> Um, I would, I think there's two answers to that really. I think one side is, um, my younger self, uh, it was tenacious and looking back, I realized how tenacious I was and, and, um, and, 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 and I, I, I survived through a lot. Um, and so in a way, I'd, I'd rather not give any advice because she figured it out. She figured it out. Um, 
Yeah. Um, she worked it out. And if I had met her back then, I think I'd have looked her square in the eye and said, you're going to figure this out. Hmm. You're going to figure it out. You're going to be okay. Hmm. Um, if you hadn't been a child practitioner, what profession would you have gone into? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think I would have probably um, law. Okay. Yeah, I think I think for a while I was so interested and so fascinated. Um. Yeah, I I think I, I might have. I, I yeah, I could have gone into that, but do you know I can't. And now I look at it, and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but not for me anymore um yeah yeah i think i could have i could have gone down that route but um yeah so glad i stumbled on on this what are you really good at uh well i'm I, i'm really good at um I think I'm really good at listening. I'm really good at listening. Um, and I find people's stories very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm one of those people that will get chatting to you on the bus and before you know it, uh, I'll have you telling me your whole life story. I love listening to people's stories. And what are you not good at? <laughs> Do you know I'm not very good at um, <laughs> making a bacon butty. <laughs> <laughs> I let my husband do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me something that you believe is true mm -hmm. that nobody agrees you. Nobody agrees with you. <laughs> nobody agrees you with one. Something that you think uh, is true that nobody agrees you with. Oh. Yeah. I'd probably say um, the possibility, the possibility of um, that not the possibility actually let me start again what i tend to have a lot of discussions about is the influence of our own emotional mental landscape on how we nurture children and the long-term impacts impact on on, on them um, i think it's still an area where there's lots of schools of thought about it. Um, it's something that I believe wholeheartedly. If you're in childcare, I, I, I really hand on heart believe if you're in childcare, you need to be having clinical um, supervisions to ensure that your mental well-being is is you know is, is supported because your own mental well-being is influencing how you are every day with those children and not just what you're saying and your behavior but viscerally as well so children are absorbing you as a person as well so it's not just what you say and and you know the exciting experiences and activities that you're offering but also who you are, children are internalizing you as well. And, and I think for that reason, I think it is critical, absolutely critical that people who work with children need to be in clinical supervision. What do you mean clinical supervision? They need to... I think just, just um, psychological support. Psychological support, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and mental health is huge in the media right now. 
And I think nursery environments need to create the time and the space for this to happen on a regular basis. Because we're nurturing the next generation. And if we are not open and, and, and ready to look deep within ourselves and assess parts of ourselves and support parts of ourselves, we're just passing it on to the next generation. Yeah, that is something that I've had a few heated debates about. So <laughs> everyone agrees with me that all you need in the nursery is just somebody who's kind and loving and caring and that's enough. It's not enough. It's not. And uh, let's talk about a bit about books. What are the two best books that you would recommend the audience that you've read? Um, I highly recommend um, any books that you find on the PICLA UK Association website. If you get on there, um, there's a whole range of materials that you can um, have a look at. Also, um, Parenting from the Inside Out is a really good start. Parenting from the Inside Out. It's written by who? I think it's written by... Um, um, oh, I can't, um, can't quite remember. But we'll have the details at the end of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, finally, uh, what next for the early years nursery and, and for yourself? Uh, so for the early years nursery, um, it's really once this strange time is, um, once we're all out of lockdown and things slowly start to get back, um, really our aim is to offer more parenting workshops mm. and, and really kind of roll how we work out into the community. Yeah, what about for yourself? For myself, um, it's just really holding the banner upright for um, compassionate childcare and compassionate parenting. So thank you, Christine. That was a very interesting podcast. Um, how can people I mean, contact you uh, or how can they find out more about the early years nursery? Um, so you can get onto our website. It's www.theearliersnursery.co.uk or you can email at admin at theearliersnursery.co.uk and we'll be in contact. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Any last thoughts? <laughs> no, I just think, you know, this is the way forward, really, with uh, mental health, you know, so huge right now and being in lockdown and self-isolation. A lot of us are going to come out, um, in, you know, we're, no one's coming out unscathed when it comes to mental health. All of us are going to have the scars of this um, COVID-19 situation. And, and all I can say to everyone out there is talk, just share how you're feeling. It's not too small, it's not too big. Every emotion and feeling matters. And bring it out into the open because we want to hear it. We want to hear about it. Thank you. Ooh, that's a wrap. <laughs> How was it? <laughs> it was really good. Yeah? Yeah, it was really good. Um, at one point I was like, oh, am I sounding a bit preachy? Mm. Um, and, then, and then at the point I was like, well, it's what I'm passionate about and I'm not going to apologize for my passion. Mm -hmm. um, and there was parts where I really went inside and I felt the, the emotion. Yeah. Which yeah. What was that? Part when I was talking about trust. Yeah. Yeah, and really trusting. Um, that was, that got me that. Trust and fear, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, trust and fear. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So that was good. Mm. So I like some videos, like when we're talking about, like for example, I don't know if that's okay. So when we talked about the video of uh, Emerson, the guys cutting potatoes, okay. and you sort of talking over it, like I want people to be able to see that sort of happening. Okay. Or that moment when he's like climbing down the table. Yeah. And you're just letting him. I think that would be quite quite good to people to see that okay as you're speaking you see <laughs> yeah oh. yeah it's it's, yeah. it's it's fascinating one day like when you're when i when i'm doing it as a mother you know it's like this is you know and and actually doing the podcast kind of clarified things in my head as well i was like yeah why am i raising my kids this way and i thought yeah it's because i don't want to be in a relationship where i'm I said so, or I'm I'm up here and they're down here. I don't want that with them. Mm. I want us to both, you know. So that kind of like, oh, that's why I'm doing it. So that was good. Mm. Yeah. Cool. All right, girl. Let me get editing. I'll send over the video for you for you to watch it, so that if you want anything to be taken out or to be, cool. you can tell me. Yeah. No. Thanks. All right. Thanks. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. How'd you get out or leave?